You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. As crazy as life is anymore, I think we all really need that. We need somewhere where we can go to to regroup and just kind of forget about the chaos of work or home life and and just you know just be in the moment on the river it's it's not all about catching fish you know at first it feels like it is but as you as you get into it you realize it's it's the entire experience it's not just getting a fish to net um brian i'm gonna ask you the same question what does fly fishing do for you don't steal my answer (laughs) So what fly fishing brings to me is um, kind of what with what Brittany was saying, how everything's so busy and, you know, we've all got responsibilities and, and things like that with our day job and things like that. And it's just if you let it and you go out and you slow down and listen to nature, it it, it just gives you a chance to... I know it sounds corny, but a chance to heal your soul from being in the world we're living in right now where everything's just nuts and everybody's in a hurry. And, you know, being the supervisor of a juvenile detention center, I work the floor with the kids. So, and we have anywhere from low misdemeanors to kids that are in there for felonies. Um, So, you know, I mean, that's kind of a stressful deal. And then with the supervisor, I'm responsible for the training of the of the staff and the scheduling and everything like that. So, I mean, it, me being able to go out, get on the river, slow down, listen to the water, watch the scenery, the bugs, the the, the, the birds, and everything like that, and just get a chance to relax. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us wherever you happen to be listening on the planet. We're going to do what we always do, talk with passionate people in the fly fishing space, get their stories, their background, on the water, off the water, where they get their passion for the sport, the pastime of fly fishing. We've got Britt Davenport and Brian Davenport on the line tonight from Lewiston, Idaho. They are the owners at uh, Hackles and Hurl Fly Fishing. Fly time, fly fishing lessons uh, for everyone, custom flies. So look them up. Brand ambassadors for Norvice and brand ambassadors with Daiichi hooks, personal fave of mine. They say the sharpest hooks in the world, and I don't doubt it. Um, Britt, Brian, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Mark, for having us on here. We're excited to to be here. Well, it's my pleasure. And and so before we get going, I always like to dig into your past a little bit and find out where you guys originally got your passion for the pastime of fly fishing. So, uh, Britt, let's start with you. Okay. Where, um, did, where did the passion start for all things fins and flies and whatnot? So uh, we moved out here in 2008. The first few years, we were working a few jobs apiece and didn't get to do much of anything. Um, but then Brian had been fly fishing for years, and I figured, you know, he taught me to bow hunt when we lived back east. And so when we got out here, there was tons of fly fishing. And so I just decided it, it looked fun. It was something we could do together. And so uh, we went to a fly show here in town, the local fly club puts on an expo and that's when I kind of started I took a women's clinic that they offered which gave me kind of a a 
pretty good jump on things, and then it's just kind of uh, snowballed from there. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I sense that's an understatement. Snowballed yeah, from there, a little bit, a little bit. Brian, what about yourself? How did you come to discover fly fishing? Um, I used to back when we lived in northern Michigan. I used to fish bass tournaments, and. Uh, I've always been fishing. I mean, I, I, my dad has a picture of me still in diapers crawling around in the bottom of a flat bob boat. And uh, I got into tournament fishing, but I needed a way to go fishing to where it wasn't all the stress and hassle of uh, tournaments. And I decided to, uh, to get into fly fishing so I could get out there, get a little long time and, and just decompress from work and, and the tournament trail. That's pretty much where it started. I actually started fly tying before I started fly fishing. So it's funny because I actually had somebody on the show recently that said the same thing, and I had not heard that before. Most people, it seems, come to fly fishing, and then they kind of start figuring out how to tie flies. But um, tell me kind of how that started. What what made you discover fly first? Where did you see it even? Uh, We... I lived in, like I said, I, I lived in northern Michigan, and my uh, my dad had this huge outdoor library, and I just was reading about fly fishing and fly tying and everything, and I'm like, you know, that's that's something I could I could get into, and uh, I went out and got myself a fly fishing kit, and the first uh, the first thing I did was I got one of the uh, Gary Borger, the old 3M. VHS tapes. Oh yeah. Uh, tying trout flies, I think is what it was called. And that's how I learned to tie flies. And then uh I joined the army, went to Germany, and took my fly tying kit over there with me and spent the time over there tying flies and everything like that. Then I got home and I had all these flies and it's like, okay, now I need to teach myself to use them. So <laughs> That's what I did. I went out in the backyard and watching the 3M videos, taught myself how to cast and went fishing on one of the local rivers around there. I totally remember those Gary Borger video Borger videos. I know exactly the ones you're talking about. You're uh you're going deep on that one. Actually that, <laughs> that's a question, guys, I want to ask both of you. So um Britt, back to you. If you had to look back on your history of fly fishing, like um, I'm sure Brian's influenced you a little bit, but name some people now, you know, and th- these don't have to be people, you know, it could be Gary Borger from, from his vids, or it could be, but is it, who's kind of been instrumental in mentoring you, or at least, uh, kind of showing you the way. So to start out with, obviously Brian, um, that goes without saying, um, but really right out the gate, there was a couple members in our local club that really took it upon themselves to, to help me out right getting started both both tying and fishing. Um, Dale Nicholson was the president of our club at the time and he literally on the first outing we went to spent the entire day with us and literally took my hand and helped me cast and learn how to do everything you know and so that just gave me a, a great start and then I took that women's clinic shortly thereafter and Saker Metabarapu um, was my mentor for that. And he's an amazing fisherman, uh, also fly tire. And his real focus was on how to read the water, uh, not just catching me a fish, which I mean, was cool, but setting me up for success when I went out on my own. So Brian, Dale, and Saker really right out the gate were, were my, my mentors and they, they continue to be, um, and then with, with, uh, social media and the online environment, um, it's, it's just endless, the amount of people that have influenced my fishing, but, but more so the tying aspect of it. Um, just because there's so many resources and people you can reach out to if you have a question now, um, it's not the days of VHS tapes or books, granted those well, not the VHS tapes. Those aren't terribly helpful anymore, but the books are still helpful. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but being able to interact with people from all over the world that tie all different patterns, 
and have all, you know, just zillions of years of experience, being able to reach out to them, you know, in a matter of minutes um, and connect with them. And and most everybody in the community is very helpful if you just ask the questions. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to narrow it down much beyond that, I mean, there's just a list a mile long of people that have inspired me and then also mentored me. You know, it may just be a question here or there, and now you can just jump on FaceTime or Zoom and they can actually show you what, right. you know, try to walk you through what you're having trouble with or, or needing help with. That's um, one thing. So that's I really opened it up. I really find that too. Like um, the the fly fishing community, fly tying community is very, very welcoming for the most part. And also it's like you said, you can get answers to questions. And a lot of times you can just DM people and say, hey, um, you know, I need some help with this or what kind of, you know, vice or hooks do you yeah. recommend? I mean, or if, if there's a certain technique that you're having trouble with, I just mm-hmm. did that yesterday on my lunch break with, with someone that's over um, in the Maritimes in Canada. And you know, he was in his deer blind and messaging me back. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's, awesome. that, that's really opened up a lot of options for people, I think, to, yeah. to get influence and inspiration from other places, not just local to them. Did you say you were tying on your lunch break? Did I hear that right? Um, no, I was just sitting in my car <laughs> on my lunch break. I do do that though um people look at me weird as i as they walk by but i have been known to do that from time to time in my car Um, (laughs) that's cool but uh yeah and the other thing is the first few years we were really into fly fishing and tying out here in idaho uh, we, we had gotten pretty involved with our local club and I coordinated fly tires for a few years for our local show. And that just opened up a ton of, of, uh, resources and relationships as far as being able to call someone up and, and mm-hmm. you know, if I have a question on something and they're also willing to help, they really are. Right. But Brian, what about yourself? If you had to look back at, at your journey, kind of where did you draw your inspiration from? Because you mentioned you were doing some competitive bass fishing. I would imagine that's a whole different animal, and I could see where that could be. there could be some pressure. And I got to catch fish. But when you found fly tying, who would you say has kind of um, shaped some of your fishing and kind of uh, mentored you a bit? Um. Gary Borger would have to probably be my first, my first person. Um, other than the three M tapes, um, there used to be a big show in uh, Southern Michigan, and the first time I went to it, it was down around Southfield, Michigan. Gary Borger was one of the guest speakers doing the theaters and that, and it was a two day show. I never missed one of his lectures. I was in there front and center. And after it was all over with, he took time to listen to me ramble on and ask questions. And he took the time to answer all my questions. Um, and then uh, another one was actually uh, Kelly Gallup. He used to own uh, the Troutsman there in uh, Traverse City, Michigan. And I used to go down there and bum around and, and pick his brain and talk to him down there when he owned that. Um other than those two, when we came out here, um, there was a an older gentleman that he was kind of a big deal here in Lewiston. He's a commercial tire. His name's Leroy Hyatt. He used to uh, have a little show on PBS, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing and and told me where to go and how to fish some of the places around here. The differences between the rivers we have here and back east. Some of the lessons I had to learn the hard way. Back east, we could use uh, the old rubber boot foot waders. They are not worth a damn out here. <laughs> First time I went out, I got two steps into the river and fell and busted my butt right, right off the back. So those rocks are a little greasier? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Been there. 
So I, I tell you what, guys, I want to take some time to get to know you guys off the water a little bit. So I, this part in the show, I always like to ask a few random questions that may or may not have a whole heck of a lot to do with fishing. Britt, let's okay. let's start with you, Britt. Favorite <laughs> so, tunes. Now, now you guys could be, now you're probably in the same vehicle a lot, I would imagine. So, uh, so what, what kind of music are you listening to <laughs> on the way to the water? So here's the thing. We've got quite an age difference between us. So that makes it for a very interesting music selection. So Brian is very much more classic rock um, because that's his his age of music. <laughs> I am much more um, 90s rock, pop, alternative. So it is a, a complete random slew of, of stuff. Um, but we both agree on old country music. We both agree on Eric Clapton. Um, and honestly, we were talking about this earlier and I said, you know, usually when, cause most of our trout rivers are two to four hours away. So it's a bit of driving. And when we're on our way to the river together, we usually don't have the radio turned up. We're usually talking. So it gives us a nice opportunity to talk and we're brainstorming things or planning our next trip or or that sort of thing. So, but but when we do have the music on, it is a random mess of stuff. Okay, Brian, what what does Britt put on that you're like? Okay, we got it. We got to change this. Do you? <laughs> Am I fishing here? ICP is banned in my rig. There is no insane clown posse. That's that's a definite no. Um. <laughs> Uh, some of this other stuff, I don't know. Some of it I can deal with, but some of the stuff is just, no. Okay, so so Brit, when Brian puts something on, you're like, okay, I've heard this classic rock song 300,000 times. I don't want to hear that again. Which right. one, What one is it for you? Pretty much any 90s stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, really, any, I, we're pretty open on these. <laughs> So let's talk. Um, I do throw in a Disney soundtrack every now and then because oh. I am a Disney baby. So. Oh boy. Yeah, or it's bad. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's talk fly patterns. So, is there a go-to fly pattern that you guys cannot live without? Like something you're reaching for more often than not in your box. Britt, start with you. What would that be? Uh, for me, hands down, it's a beetle bug palmer. Um, which is a, a pattern by Dave Hughes, I believe. Um, and it's uh, a, a trout dry fly, which I, I confess I absolutely love dry fly fishing. It's maybe a bit of a fault, but um, it, it's where I really enjoy catching fish. Um, but it is, uh, it's called the beetlebug palmer. It's got a moose tail, uh, calf tail or calf body hair for the wings kind of split like a wolf style and then uh orange body or red body i like to use slf minnow gill color which is seems to be difficult to find but uh and then the back two-thirds is ribbed uh palmered with a hackle a brown hackle that's one size smaller and then the thorax is palmered with um, a hackle appropriately sized for the hook and the trout up here the cutthroat trout here just slam it that's a, i don't know what it looks like i mean it, it floats well i fish pocket water a lot so it floats really well hmm. and I, I have no idea what they think it is probably an october caddis so it kind of has that orange hue to it but i don't care what they think it is so as long as they're hitting it i'm good that's uh, probably one of the most descriptive, when I've asked that question, <laughs> like, I know I'm talking to serious fly tires when you're describing the palmered hackle, and it's like... Like, it is, it is hands down my favorite pattern ever, yeah. and now I'm thinking, just out of the blue, now I'm thinking I need to tie it bigger for steelhead, mm. because I, our steelhead here will hit a dry fly, Oh man! and so I think I need to... Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, I don't think, but they will. And now I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny how they just pop into into your head all of a sudden. Uh, Brian, what, what's your go-to? Um, is it a similar pattern or what, what, what are you putting no. on the end of your rod more often than not? 
Mine's a little harder because Brittany, Brittany's kind of one of those dry, fly, or die kind of deals. And me, I if I've got some fish coming up top, I'll I need to throw a, a an X caddis or a stimulator. But more often than not, I'm usually reaching for a March brown flimp. Um, it's a wet fly by uh, Dave Hughes. And swinging that, you know, like you would a wet fly across current. Or lately, I've kind of gotten into the Euro nymphing thing. And uh, right now, if if I can't get anything else going, I will put on a, a Frenchie and try and go down for with a Euro nymph. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. There's um, I've talked to a lot of uh, fly fishers lately that uh, they're doing just that. Let's let's talk where you like to get your fix on fly fishing, guys. So, in other words, when you're not in your waders, you're not on the water, where do you get your fix? Like, is it a social media thing for you guys? Is it a fly shop locally? Where do you get your fill of fly fishing when you're not fishing? So, mine probably is social media. Um, I just like seeing pictures of different flies. It gives me ideas and inspiration. Um, I'll be like, oh, I want to try that. I've never done that before, so let me try it. So for me, it, it's probably mostly Instagram and some of the Facebook groups that I'm in. Um, and then like the Fly Tire magazine, I really enjoy reading through that and getting ideas out of that. Mostly, I mean, if we're not on the water or here in our little shop tying flies, I, if I'm at home, it's probably YouTube or Fly Fishing Magazine or or one of the books. We've got a pretty good library going here. Um, or going out, we've got a little shop that's about an hour away. It's called the Red Shed. Um, gentleman that owns it, everybody calls him Poppy. And uh, he, it's literally just a little red shed there in his front yard. And it's wall to wall, floor to ceiling fly tying materials, spay rods. Uh, he's got it all in there. That sounds like a little slice of heaven right there. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it is. is. The red, what'd you call it? The red shop? The red shed. Oh, the red shed. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, Which is the most obscure little place about half a mile off the Clearwater River. Hmm. But it is the most amazing shop ever. Cool. I'll have to check that out at some point. I'll put that on my list. Cause I, I, for me, I love those little stores where you just kind of like go, what really? (laughs) You would not think it from the outside, but the minute you walk in, it is, I mean, it's Berkheimer's, Gale Force line, Able Reels, Hmm. all the way down to Echo Rods and Reels. Portland 444 line or airflow, whatever. Flies high material. A lot of our paycheck goes there. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So this could be a tough one. So I don't know if you guys are big sports fans or not, but um, it sounds like there was maybe some um, Michigan uh, influence earlier on. Now you're in Idaho. Uh, if you guys are pulling for a team, um, who are you cheering for? So this is a super easy one for us. We have no interest in sports whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) None, like none. If I had to pick one, it'd be the Packers just because I went there to Green Bay when I was a kid. And so for some reason, I'm like that. But I know nothing of them. I don't know how they're doing. I, I don't know. But here in Idaho, everybody is Seahawks fans. And yeah. so it's really yeah. fun just to be a Green Bay fan just because <laughs> there's like three of us and we stick together. That's funny. <laughs> Fill in the blank for me, Brian, when I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? It's either working at my day job or out here in the fly tying room, tying up orders and tying flies. What's your day job? I'm a supervisor at the, uh, County Juvenile Detention Center. Right. Okay. Um, what about you, Britt? What, um, when you're not fly fishing, what are you usually up to? Oh, pretty much the same thing, working, 
and then just out here praying flies, whether um, boxes or whatever. Um, so uh, I work as a deputy court clerk for one of our local judges. Um, if we're not doing that and not fishing, we're usually out here tying flies or, or reading books. What's the best job you've <laughs> ever had, Britt? Are you doing it now? See, you said that, or, you know, you said that might be a question and I've been thinking about it and the job I have now is, is probably the best job. Um, some people have jobs that they're uber passionate about. Um, I wouldn't say I'm uber passionate about my job, um, but, you know, I like it. It's interesting. It pays the bills. It provides me vacation time to go fishing and the the income to buy fishing gear and fly tying materials. So I like it. Well, that's well said. <laughs> what, what about you, Brian? Like, um best gig you've had i mean are you really enjoying the day job and, and you know combine the fact that you guys have your own fly fishing business i'm sure that's kind of the best of both worlds the fly the fly fishing business is the is the best but um yeah i'm kind of happy with my day job i mean it's never never dull um i like my time in the army and that kind of plays into being with the juvenile delinquents, your head's always on a swivel and, you know, that, that kind of has its own little stressful days. So I, I like it. I mean, he also retires in about seven years. So that may be why he likes it more. <laughs> so hold on a second. You're saying how close you are to retirement is directly related to how much you enjoy your job. I like that. That's in, I never I thought of that. <laughs> It <laughs> yeah. Well, and we talk about this on the show a lot, you know, having that um, kind of side hustle because we, I mean, we all, most people don't come on here and say, I hate my day job. We all, we all like what we do or we work hard at it and are proud to do it. But I think there's always that, that little bit of kind of where you can draw a passion from it's your own baby, right? You know, so with the, the fly fishing thing, I, I would imagine you draw a lot from that. Yes, absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, I mean, we, you know, we were on one of our fishing excursions and had the radio turned off and we were sitting and talking and we fleshed out the the whole hackles and hurl gig. And lo and behold, we decided to open it up. We started in January of 21, right in the middle of a pandemic. We opened our, our doors and put our shingle out and it's been pretty good. I mean, nothing great yet, but everything takes time. So it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. So do you guys have an actual brick and mortar shop as well, or is it strictly online? So we do not have a brick and mortar shop. It is just uh, literally in our garage that was converted into our tying room. But we, we've turned it into a bit of a classroom and then also has our tying stations in it. So we have classes in it, but it's not a brick and mortar fly shop, which right. some people think it is, which is, is cool. I'm like, well, maybe we should do that. I mean, I've literally had a guy say, hey, I'm on my way to your fly shop. And I said, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> like, that's, nope. <laughs> like, like, oh, Okay. <laughs> That's so, funny. so I mean, really, it's it's our garage turned into a classroom slash fishing rod gear storage room slash fly tying area. So sounds good. Yeah. It, and it needs to be bigger, so we're out of space. But okay. um, but no, it's not not a brick and mortar shop at all. So here I, I here's a question I'd like to ask my guests, and and for me this can go a lot of ways, but. If you had to look back on kind of what fly fishing brings into your world, what it does for you, you know, the lesson, the takeaway, Britt, what does fly mm -hmm. fishing do for you? So for me, it's given me, I grew up in a house where, in a household where, I mean, we, we went out into nature a little bit, not a whole lot. I mean, I had both parents that worked for a living and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it's really just given me that chance to get out in nature 
and decompress and get away from from the busyness of life. Right now, everybody is so crazy busy with everything. Um, and so, uh, which helps a lot of the places we go don't have cell service. So that helps. Um, but it just gives me that chance to break away and kind of refocus. And as crazy as life is anymore, I think we all really need that. We need somewhere where we can go to, to regroup and just kind of forget about the chaos of work or home life and, and just, you know, just be in the moment on the river. It's, it's not all about catching fish. You know, at first it feels like it is, but as you, as you get into it, you realize it's, it's the entire experience. It's not just getting a fish to net. It's standing there in the water as a flock of mergansers float by or watching an eagle fly by or things like that. So it's just, Oh, and the cat just knocked the mouse off the table and broke it. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a cat. Her nickname is Shitty Kitty. And I saw that on on. Yes, uh... yes, and and she just. At least it wasn't my glass of scotch. Um, so why do you call her uh, Shitty Kitty? Because that that is perfectly descriptive of her. She likes. <laughs> that she was like, the nickname. That is the nickname Brian gave her when she was little, and she has lived up to it. Do you know what's funny is, um, okay, so I just kind of started following some of your guys' Instagram accounts not that long ago, and I, I swear I saw a picture of a cat on a bottle of scotch recently. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was like an hour ago. She was trying to get into the bottle. What kind of scotch do you guys have on the go? Um, it's gone live it fourteen. Um, 14 year. I don't know. I can't read it from here, but goes goes great with Norvice and fly fishing convos. It goes great with just about anything, <laughs> except cats. But I I loved your answer. I loved your answer to what fly fishing brings to you. Um, Brian, I'm going to ask you the same question. What does fly fishing do for you? Don't steal my answer. <laughs> So what fly fishing brings to me is um, kind of what with what Brittany was saying, how everything's so busy and, you know, we've all got responsibilities and, and things like that with our day job and things at home, um, things like that. And it's just if you let it and you go out and you slow down and listen to nature, it it, it just gives you a chance to, I know it sounds corny, but a chance to heal your soul from being in the world we're living in right now where everything's just nuts and everybody's in a hurry. And, you know, it's being the supervisor of a juvenile detention center, I work the floor with the kids. So, and we have anywhere from low misdemeanors to kids that are in there for felonies. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's kind of a stressful deal. And then with the supervisor, I'm responsible for the training of the, of the staff and the scheduling and everything like that. So, I mean, it, me being able to go out, get on the river, slow down, listen to the water, watch the scenery, the bugs, the, 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 the birds and everything like that, and just get a chance to relax and forget about all this nonsense for a little while. Do you ever find, so with the juvenile detention center that you're, you're so, you know, involved in is fly fishing ever a means to kind of crossing some bridges? Um, yeah, there's a, because it's a juvenile detention center, which is, I tell people to think of it like this, a juvenile detention center is kind of like an adult jail. People are only there for a short amount of time. But just down the road a little bit, I know some of the people that work at the state facility where they're there for a lot longer. And um, a friend of ours, him and his wife, she used to work at the state facility. And they started a, a, a deal where during the wintertime, they would take the kids with the top level and have been behaved and are getting ready to be released in a short amount of time. They would invite us to come up there a group of us to go and teach the kids how to tie flies 
And then in the springtime, we would take the kids on an outing to teach them how to fly fish. So that's that part of it. And some of the kids that come in, I mean, we're kind of a rural area out here. And some of the kids that come in, they, you know, hunt and fish with their dads or uncles or whatever. And it's been a common denominator with some of them. You know, we talk fishing and they ask questions about fly fishing because they've never done it. They've seen it. But so that helps. Well, you guys are in such an amazing place for it, too. I would imagine um, there's probably, you know, there's not a lot of people that don't spend time on the water, whether they're fly fishing or otherwise. But, I mean, Lewiston, Idaho has got to be a big hub for fly fishing. It really is. Um, but it's also a big hub for, for gear fishermen and stuff like that. I mean, we have in the clear water, we, it's right on the um, confluence between the clear water and the snake. Excuse me. So not only is there trout in there, and if you go a little bit further upstream, there's smallmouth bass. But right here around the confluence, we have the steelhead, both an A and a B run go out to the ocean and come back. And then you have the salmon run now. They finally have got enough salmon to run and back to open a season on it. So it, it gets a lot of, uh, a lot of attention. Okay. So guys, I want to get to know um, your business and kind of what your guys are up to with um, Hackles and Hurl. We've got Britt Davenport and Brian Davenport uh, partners in crime in Lewiston, Idaho. Maybe that's not the right term, Brian. I don't think oh, you'll like that one. It is. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> um, tell me about your guys' business first off. Hackles and hurl fly fishing. Now I know you're doing, you know, fly tying online kind of lessons, fly fishing lessons. I know you tie custom flies. Tell us about what made you guys start this, and tell us what you're up to. So we started it back in January, so it's not not been quite a year yet, and we, we had been talking about doing it forever, and finally we said, let's do it. Of course, we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic, so, you know, why wouldn't you just open a business? Um, and and we, we kind of just, you know, it, it's changed. Even in 11 months, it's really kind of changed, like, as to what we want to do or what we can offer, and that's the cool thing is is it's our business so we can make it into what we want um we started it so that we can it felt like there was kind of a void in the local area as far as lessons for getting people into fly fishing um and tying fly tying classes our, our local uh, parks and rec offers some tying classes but with covid they kind of shut those down uh, and the gentleman, uh, Brian mentioned him earlier, Mr. Hyatt, Leroy, uh, does those, which he's amazing. Um, but he's getting up in age too. So, uh, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be starting them back up ever. So we thought, well, now's maybe a good time to, to go in and, and get this going and do all the back end pieces of it, which, I never realized how much back-end stuff there was to getting a business going if you want to do it correctly. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, business licenses and excise tax permits and all that sort of stuff to, to get squared away to, to be a legit business. And so we, we just started on that in January. We, we opened it up. We did a couple tying classes that winter, um, early spring. We did a few fly fishing classes this summer. Um, we've tied a few custom orders. We're just kind of trying to get that uh, focus on getting some custom fly orders going. Uh, we haven't really focused on that because we were focusing more on the classes through the, the last winter and summer. So we're really going to be in the next little bit trying to focus on uh, generating more custom fly orders and, and that sort of thing. Brian, I, I want to ask you both 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 Britt and brian are uh, brand ambassadors at uh norvice and i know th 
the thing I want to ask you guys, um, it's obviously a tying system, and I know I've got other friends that use it. I'm not familiar with it. I've looked at it and went, holy mackerel, that looks like it's, uh, it's, it's revo- revolutionary. It's, it's, um, it's definitely a system. It's something you need to pick up. But tell me, Brian, what is it that you guys are so proud to support, you know, the, the gang at Norvice, and, and why, why do you enjoy tying on these vices so much? So, to answer the first question, what what do we what what makes us want to support the guys at Norvice is um, every everything on the Norvice is made in the United States, so that's a big deal for us. Um, it is a system, and to be real honest with you, I used to tie on another vice for. From since the beginning up until about three years ago. And Brittany, when she first started, we got her little cheap vice at one of the, the, the fly shows. And we ended up going to a show over in Ellensburg, Washington, and met Norm Norlander, the then owner of Norvice. We got Brittany a, a Norvice, and she started tying on it loved it i tried it a couple times and just it's a learning curve if you've been tying for any amount of time on another vice that's uh that's just it it is a learning curve um then i turn around and i tore my rotator cuff really bad and uh Brittany had joined the ambassadors team for norvice and the owner uh, the new owner tim o'neill me a package he asked Brittany, he's like what do you think is the chance of brian tying on a norvice she said slim and none so I literally told him that would be divorced <laughs> say that again i missed that you literally told him what I, I literally told them that would be divorce material to get him to switch to a different vice. <laughs> so okay so brian and what happened next so O'Neill, about a week later, there was a package coming to the front door with my name on it, and it was a Norvice system. Note inside says, uh, hope this is marriage counseling. Give it a month and let me know. Yeah, Brian, consider this marriage counseling. Tim, Michelle, and Tyler O'Neill. So he says, give me 30 days, an honest run for 30 days, and tell me what you think. Well, after the rotator cuff surgery, I, I could barely tie hardly any flies at all because, you know, you're constantly wrapping the thread around the hook or the, you know, the the floss or whatever. So I sat down and I give it an honest 30 days. And the thing about the Norvice, if you put the hook in correctly, it spins on axis. And then once you get your thread started, you pretty much just spin the hook and you're holding the automatic bobbin and you're putting the material on there. You don't have to constantly be reaching around the hook all the time. And it, within 30 days, I was rocking and rolling on it like it was nobody's business. And I told Tim, I'm like, I, I like it. And the next day he sent me ambassador paperwork. And it's just, it's, there's a lot of rotary vices out there, but the Norvice is the only one that you can spin on axis. You don't just turn it. You can do the tension knob and turn it slowly to put materials on it, but you can back that off and you can literally spin and run your thread up and down the hook. You're just moving your wrist and you're laying a base of thread. Yeah, I was at I was at a fly fishing show in in uh, just outside of Seattle, Washington, maybe three four years ago, and that was the first time I'd seen it. And I was like, w- "What?" <laughs> you know, it, it, I just know I know that if I got one and then I I'd get hooked on it. I just I got so many that's bad 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 term. I got so many vices, but it's like I don't know if I have time to pick it up. But I, I what I when I see you guys use it, it looks to me like you could tie a lot more flies in a shorter amount of time. You can. We we don't, you know, promote the fact that you'll tie faster. That's just a byproduct of using the using the vice. You will get faster. 
it'd be you'll get more consistent faster as a byproduct it actually you get consistent tension where you know when you're tying your thread or your material on every time you go around the back you're actually letting up on your thread just a little bit your materials so you don't get that constant tension where with the Norvice, you're keeping constant tension on there. So you've got the consistency and you, you, you really, that automatically makes your flies more durable. And as a byproduct, you will tie flies faster. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, so obviously you guys are, are both tying on Norvice systems. Um, I'm curious about the relationship with Daiichi because I, I am a big, uh, I love their hooks. They're, they are solid and sharp. Um, Britt, what is it you like so much about tying on Daiichi hooks? Um, so I've just really enjoyed, we've fished a lot of different hooks over the years. Some good, some not so good. Um, and, and it's the consistency of the quality. Um, we've had other hook brands where most of them were really good, and then you'd get one that you'd catch a fish on and it would fail. And and that that's frustrating. I mean, nobody wants that to happen. And we just we haven't experienced that with Daiichi. And so I, I really think it's just the consistency and quality. And and they're scary sharp. I mean, they're they're sharp. And you know, they hold fish good. So we've, we've just had a really good experience fishing with them. And so when, when we were approached about just, uh, going on their pro staff, um, you know, it just made sense because we, we like to use them. And that's the one big thing we, we kind of talked about early on. And once we were starting to be approached with some of these, you know, pro staff type things, um, that, that, you know, we would only stand behind products that we like and use. You know, we're not out there to just throw a bunch of hashtags behind our names. It's, you know, if it's a product that we like and love and, and use, then by all means. Um, and Daiichi and Norvice both really fall into that. So yeah, um, very, very proud to, to be a part of both of those teams. And if Ann Kitchener's listens, Semperfly's another one. <laughs> right. Yeah, Semperfly's listening. That um, that's but that that screams integrity to me, and I think there's a lot of that. You know, just because somebody's willing to sponsor you, if you don't believe in the product, especially if you're sitting at a vice for so many hours, you you gotta like what you're using. I would tell you this, guys. Like I'm I'm a Stillwater guy. Okay, so where I'm at, there's a lot of um, some of the best still waters on the planet, mm-hmm. but, oh, yeah. but we, I tie a lot of chronomids and I will tell you, mm-hmm. uh, that the Daiichi hooks are the strongest. I find they don't like a, a lot of the chronomid hooks are a finer wire and they tend to yep. bend and they tend to, you know, right. I'll break off on fish, but these they're solid hooks and, and, uh, yes. and they sink. Well, that's for me is a, is a, is a key. <laughs> Right. That's one of the things that I like about the Daiichi is they're stout. You can put some some pressure with your thread on there when you're tying and know that you've got things cinched down and they don't just bend while they're in the vise. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a, a good point. So I want to ask you guys to put your artist hat on. And this is um, your ideal day, your dream day. So um, Britt, let's start with you. If you could kind of describe your perfect day, like what does it look like? Are you chasing cutties on a local stream or river? Are you throwing dry flies? Are you, are you drinking a little scotch at the end of the day? Paint, <laughs> paint us, I suspect you are, with Shitty Kitty and Brian. Right. But but paint us a picture. So so I have a feeling our, our days may be pretty similar. I mean, we're, not, not exact, but close. So uh, it would be late September up in the mountains. Uh, the place we like to go is just a little bit below the Montana border. Um, it's, it's pretty far in there. So we'd have towed our camper in and we'd be camping up there for a week or two. Uh, the kokanee would be running, um, which we don't catch the kokanee a whole lot on flies cause we just don't, don't try to. Um, but they're really neat just to watch, uh, swimming around in the water. Uh, the October caddis would be popping, 
Um, that that is by far my favorite aquatic insect of all time is the October caddis. Um, it would be an overcast day, and it'd be with Brian, of course. And hopefully by then we would have a, a fly dog. Um, we just had to put our our pup down a couple weeks ago, so eventually we'll get a new a new fly dog. So hopefully it'll be with us. And it would be casting a dry fly, probably a beetle bug palmer or something similar, uh, with a peacock and starling size 18 dropper. Uh, and it would be with my poppy cane rod, which poppy canes are made by poppy out at the Red Shed Fly Shop in Peck. Uh, it's a seven foot six five weight. It's my very first bamboo rod that I have. And it is just a blast to, to cast and even more so to catch big cutthroat on. Um, so it would be fishing for cutthroat. Um, dry fly, I probably wouldn't catch a YD, but you never know. Sometimes a bull trout. But with the dry flies, that's usually just cutthroat. Um, then we uh, you know, go back to camp in the evening and sit around the fire. And usually around the fire in the summer, it's blue moon. In the fall, it, it, it would be more of the, the scotch variety. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good picture you just painted. Uh, Brian, um, I assume yours is probably similar, but maybe not. What's, what's your... He's going to say bone fishing in Belize. Or something. Right? No, no it'll probably be the Henry's Fork, Southeast Idaho, which would be my other perfect name. That's that's my two perfect days. The one to go along with hers, um, but the other one would be uh, no, probably about the middle end of August, um, about eighty degrees, maybe a little overcast, um, on the Harriman Ranch. A um, little bit after the sun goes starts to go down. There's usually a really nice caddis hatch at this one spot below a riffle, and there's just rainbow trout popping all over the place. And you pick one. There's a few different, uh, few different patterns. One is uh, Mike Lawson's uh, spent wing caddis. That one usually works pretty well there. Another one I've caught fish there is. Uh, a pattern I'm sure you're familiar with, a tom thumb. Believe it or not, with yeah. these PhD educated <laughs> trout, I have caught some there on on a tom thumb. Um, and fishing until it's entirely too dark to see. Then take the long ride home, uh, back to the campers, and yeah, sit around the fire, have a few toddies, and then just get back up and do it all again the next day. That sounds good too. I, I I I laugh when you said Tom Thumb because that's a pattern that I I basically was weaned on a Tom Thumb. That was like something we always fished, and you know I don't know how well known that is internationally, but I will tell you that in my neck of the woods, that's kind of like I don't even know how to verbalize it. It's the everyday pattern. I guess it would be like the Griffith's gnat or the zug bug or the. Uh, so, so the gentleman that showed us the Tom Thumb, um, Bill Jollymore, fished up in BC in the lakes quite a bit, and they used to have a, a cabin on Loch Lejeune, um, and so he told us about the Tom Thumb and gave us a few, and it is the most amazing pattern ever, <laughs> and it's absolutely nothing. Yeah, but if you look at it, the thing, and, and it... For me, that is a suggestive versus realistic pattern. And I will tell you when the tom thumb works is when the caddis are coming off because it looks okay. like an emerging caddis, right? Right. Right. Yeah. But like you said, that's not down here. That's not a very well-known pattern. So if you go to some place like the Henry's Fork where, you know, you've got PhD trout that have been fished over hard all year long and throwing a, a nice small tom thumb out there to them, it's, it's a little bit different, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's less. Th if you don't know what a tom thumb is, look it up. But think of a humpy minus the tufts, like the calf tail, and the. It's basically and, and not elk hair, more so deer hair, right? Deer. Yep. Yeah. Now, do you tie yours? What? What do you use a, a 
a dubbing or something underneath. I do. And so, uh, full disclosure, I kind of think of egg laying caddis. So I kind of go to like an olive kind of, um, underbody, but you can do any color. Uh, there's a lot I, of, sorry, go ahead. I usually use peacock curl. Yeah. Perfect. That's perfect. That, that would, yeah, for sure. But it's, it's one of those versatile patterns. And honestly, I gotta be honest. I don't fish it a lot anymore. Cause I kind of tried to streamline more. So when there's caddis, I try to go cat, but a good old Tom thumb on a still water, in British Columbia right. or moving water, I will tell you, Washington State, I'm sure, is the same. Montana, Idaho. I mean, we're kind of all fishing mm-hmm. very similar yeah. waters in, in some regards. Um, it just looks buggy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the more you fish it, the buggier it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more oh, it gets. That's so true. And the thing I like about it, it rides high in the water. It's basically just made of deer hair. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, really, most of the fish or most of the flies that I fish are are like you said, impressionistic. I go more for those kind of flies than I do like trying to match things perfectly. Mm. So I think they, I think they do a little bit better. I find that too with, you know, you guys are so involved in the tying world and I see some of these patterns, I go, wow, that looks amazing, but I wouldn't fish it. I, I say that a lot and I know that sounds kind of weird, but just cause it looks exactly like a specific insect. Sometimes those ones that have more crossover, um, tend to work a little better those are instagram flies (laughs) yeah yeah fair you know what that's yeah i get it i know exactly what you're saying good stuff so i want to i i really appreciate you guys taking the time tonight and i i don't want to keep you up too late here but what one thing i want to do is um ask you guys a philosophical question when it comes to the world of fly fishing um brit is there anything you think we could be doing a little better or is there anything that kind of irks you that we're doing when it comes to fly fishing? Um, Oh, this is a tough one. So it seems like nowadays in, in this part, this includes myself, probably everybody is so worried about getting pictures and, you know, content for social media, and, and it, to some degree, that's great. Um, it, it gets, it allows you to share your experience with other people, and and I, I thoroughly enjoy seeing pictures from other countries, places that I would would love to go someday, but probably never will. So it you know it allows people to live vicariously through other people a little bit. Um, but I really hope that we can still maintain some of the the solitude and not being so focused on just getting that perfect picture, you know, for your next Instagram post when we're on the water. Um, yes, do that, you know, you do some of that, but but try to take it back to to pre-social media, I guess, if that's the a thing you know sometimes not always but you know try to try to keep that in mind and still go out and enjoy it for the for the sake of enjoying it and being out there and not just worrying about that sort of stuff um i i'm afraid that for a lot of folks that original reason for going out gets kind of lost lost on them a little bit I heard somebody verbalize it this way. It's like, you know, when we see that perfect sunset or we see mm-hmm. that perfect silhouette, we pull out our cameras, we right? cap- we capture it, but we miss it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as much as the next person. Yeah. We all, we, that's a game know. we all play because. <laughs> you won't, yeah. Brian's not, he's gotten better on taking photos over the years. Well, he's probably got it. He's, he's, he's got, gotten better at it. <laughs> He's probably got a flip phone without a camera. Oh, ouch, right? Ooh, uh, sorry, Brian. I had to throw that out. Oh, that's bad. Actually, I had the iPhone 13 Pro Max. <laughs> I got the iPhone 1. <laughs> just kidding. But that's what you just said there. There pegs it exactly. You, you, know, you get the photo, but you, you miss the actual experience of it. And sometimes that might be okay, but we need to to try to remind ourselves sometimes to to worry, you know, to pay attention to what the actual experience is, not just photo documenting it. 
yeah to share with other people that's well said um brian what about you how is there anything you think because you've been you've been doing this a while and I, I, I often look back to kind of where we've come from and where we're at. And I think, heck, we're in a pretty good spot. I mean, this is a first world problem. We're talking about social media. We're talking about, but now these things are, were not relevant 20, 30 years ago. What, what do you, what's your takeaway on, on fly fishing space? Are, are we kind of in a good spot or what do you think? I think we're in a good spot. Um, I mean, everybody most everybody pays attention to like here in the summertime when the water gets too warm to fish for trout. Um, so I think everybody, you know, they're aware of how long you can hold a fish out of water, you know, to get your picture. And there's a big thing for keep them wet where you don't take them out of the water and temperatures to fish. Um, there's a big push on social media about going out and when you're fishing, cleaning up, trash on the side of the rivers which i wish there was no trash there to pick up um but i think one of the one of the things that i think people need to really think more about when they go out is you're out here to relax and to enjoy being out here and a lot of times when we go out it's just people are still in a hurry i mean how many miles is it on the Barrett Road? 30 miles on a very washboarded speed limit's 25. And you don't ever go that fast because it's usually washboarded. I mean, people can ride their quads up and down it. But I mean, people are flying up and down the, the road trying to hurry up and get to their fishing spot. And it's like you're just missing out on so much by being in such a big hurry. And you know, they, they, they get pissed off and everything like that when somebody's in the spot that they had their heart set on. And that's really kind of silly because there's all kinds of spots to pull over and fish there. Um, I mean, back, like you said, I've, I've been at it quite a while. And one of the stories that I tell quite a few people when we're doing our class on fishing is uh, I was fishing a little river Back in Michigan, and there was a gentleman and his two sons, and they came around the corner. I was fishing the run. They got out probably 100 yards downriver, walked up on the shore, went down to the next bend in the river, and then they went in and fished. We leapfrogged all day long like that. And it, to me, it was so cool how this guy was teaching his kids to respect other people and their space, you know, fishing not to mess up their fishing or anything like that. And I think sometimes we get out here and, and people forget that they're supposed to be relaxing and, and getting too big of a hurry. Yeah. I like it. So guys, uh, if, if we're looking to catch up with you, I, I want you to throw all your social media out there. So we've had Britt Davenport and Brian Davenport out of Lewiston, Idaho on owners at Hackles and Hurl Fly Fishing. Look them up. We want to look you up. Where do we go? So Britt, throw out your Instagram, Facebook, whatever, you know, what's the best place to find you guys? So Instagram, we're at Hackles and Hurl. Facebook is Hackles and Hurl Fly Fishing. Um, we also have a YouTube channel that we're putting content up. Uh, a lot of it's fly tying videos. Um, we're going to try to start doing some gear reviews, just of gear that we have that we like, um, which is, I think, just hackles and hurl. Might be hackles and hurl fly fishing. I'd have to check. Uh, so, you know, if people want to check that out, we, we've got some videos up. And then we also have videos over on the Norvice YouTube channel that we do as well. Uh, I, I joined TikTok and I have a few little videos up there, not much, but that is at Hackles and Hurl. I don't know how I feel about TikTok yet, but it's there. <laughs> it's not quite my speed, but it's there. Um, and then we've got our website, which is just hacklesandhurl.com. Um, right now, there's just a little bit about us. Uh, some info about our, our classes for local folks and uh, just a little bit about custom flies. 
We do have an online shop now that we have linked to our website. Uh, It's pretty basic right now, but we're hoping to add more to it. We've got some hats, a little bit of swag up there. And then we also have some pre-made fly boxes. Uh, with With teaching the beginner fly fishing classes, we were finding that uh, people didn't really know, you know, what flies to get, which would make sense if you've not done it before, you wouldn't know what you need. So we have made a few pre-made boxes kind of geared towards beginners, uh, just to give them a good, easy assortment where they can just grab a box and go and have, you know, a, a pretty rudimentary assortment uh, that would that would work on our local rivers. So there's some of those up there as well, or lakes. We also have a lake box, and we just put up a little Euro box too. So um, I'm hoping this winter in this tying season, we'll be able to flesh out the the fly shop section of it a little bit more. Well, I really love what you guys are up to, and kudos. Um, I wish you best of success, and I know I know it's going to happen big for you guys. Hackles and Hurl Fly Fishing. Britt and Brian, thank, thanks so much for doing this. Keep up the passion and Hey, do me a solid. If you guys ever have anything you want to promote or anything exciting going on, just give me a shout out. Always happy to jump on a call. Awesome. Cool. Thank thanks, you so Mark. much, Mark. The fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the Thank you for listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.